0: Well, hello everyone, welcome. Welcome again to Freedom International live stream where podcasters from around the world uh, come together to bring you important messages through special guests. And today with me are Roy uh, from uh, Ireland and living in Poland right now, Awakening podcast. And I have Steve Fierro um, with his Awakened Mind from Asia, and Chris Ryan of Mind Wars from uh, Ireland living in London and yours truly uh, I am from the Philippines but I am right here in New Jersey and our our special guest today is Donald Jeffries. and the title there is just one of his many books. He is a prolific uh, writer so thank you and welcome Don.
1: Oh thanks for having me it's uh, nice to talk to people from all over the world. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, and Don, um, she as I said, if you Google him, he has such a strong media uh, media online presence because he has a lot of books, books like it. The latest one I believe is "It Takes a Village to Do the Public," and and of course he has the hidden history and an expose of modern crimes, conspiracy and cover up, and he has crimes and cover ups in American politics, then bully buliocracy and also Survival of the Riches. First of all, Dan, I really like the titles of your book. They're, they speak for itself. And although, um, you know, it seems like the topic is American focus, but what Dan does is he's able to connect all of those uh, books and themes to what's happening globally. So I, I I, believe my first question would be done with all the prolific writing that you do on even regular blogging. What goes on with Don DeFry's Diff- head? You know, how do you manage it to know all of this and put them together and still come here with a smile and still able to go to sleep?
1: Well, I don't sleep that great, but uh, yeah, m- many people have asked what goes on in my head. But uh, yeah, you know, it, it, these are, I've been interested in these subjects for a very long time. I started out with working as a teenager for Mark Lane, who wrote Rush to Judgment, the most uh, popular New York Times bestseller, uh, Criticism of the Warren Report. So I was a JFK assassination guy for a while. That was my obsession. It's still my wheelhouse issue. And Hidden History is full of stuff about the JFK assassination. But I just started, you know. You start looking into other things. It's logical to go from JFK to RFK and MLK and then JFK Jr., which was the first one to uh, conduct an independent investigation of. I think it was another Kennedy assassination. Uh, you know, Oklahoma City, Waco, and obviously 9-11. You start opening these doors and you can't close them back, and you start seeing, and that's what hidden history especially is about, the interconnection between all these issues. Uh, they all have the same similarities, Uh Unnatural deaths, tons of, you know, body counts and unnatural deaths associated with these things. It's dangerous to look at these subjects, it's missing and destroyed evidence. And most important, you have the incredibly inept performance of uh, the state-controlled media. And I I compare our media in America to TASS and Pravda at the height of the Soviet Union. The only difference is the Soviet people understood that it was state-controlled media. The majority of Americans don't. They're, they look at their so-called journalists on television and they actually think these people are investigative reporters or not. So nothing i do would be possible. I couldn't have written these books or, or these critiques uh, you know, on Substack and elsewhere if we had a free press that was doing their job because they would have solved this stuff a long time ago and exposed what the lies were being told, but they don't, so it opens the door for alternative people like me. Well,
0: when it comes to the media, so where did that start then? and I, I'm sure you have covered that in one or many of your books, okay? So meaning to say, how did this uh, journalist or journalists who want to be journalists now, you know, ended up not really doing their part as exposing the truth?
1: Well, I think, you know, certainly in my lifetime, it, it, the uh, and for the JFK assassination on, I think you can, you can put a timeline there how the media Became progressively worse in terms of covering up for the authorities, which is basically if you read any any news story, it's full of authorities say, officials say. That's all they do. They just quote authorities and officials, and these authorities and officials have been proven corrupt over and over again. But they never question the authorities, they never question the officials. And but it goes back farther than that. I mean, you know, in crimes and coverups, uh, 1776 and 1963, which has a foreword by Ron Paul, which I'm very proud of. Uh, we, I, it's a kind of rep- Prequel to hidden history, and I go over some of the earlier issues and the founding of the Republic. Audit. it certainly Lincoln has been misrepresented, and the war between the states. And I talk about how so much misinformation has been out there about that. So the press, even at that time, I, it became consolidated. I think after the Civil War, and it just it just increased as we became you know involved more globally in World War One and World War Two, and then the, the Cold War and our adventurous. Uh, escapades, the latest of which, you you see Afghanistan, it's just another example of this disastrous bipartisan foreign policy we have, where we constantly go and meddle in other countries for no reason at all, it serves no purpose. People are killed and die for no reason, and then we can't even conduct a withdrawal. We finally decide to do the right thing and get out. Uh, We're we're so inept now, there's so much incompetence mixed with corruption that we can't even do it right. But that's where it started. I don't know that we ever had a truly free press. But certainly in my lifetime, once I, I started investigating the JFK assassination, it got over my name because I wanted to be a journalist. Uh, I understood that it's not possible. If You're an investigative journalist in this country. You wind up like Gary Webb, who uh, I think they killed and they claimed he shot himself twice in the head. And again, that's our media reporting that he shot himself twice in the head after he exposed the CIA's uh, links to the Contras and bringing crack cocaine to the inner cities. But that's unfortunately what happens to real investigative journalists. There's no room for it. You have to just be mouthpieces for the state if you're going to work for the media.
0: So you've been busy writing and um, blogging and interviews, and we're busy also podcasting. What are the ways that can people really do to you know, be our own investigative journalists? If with all the censoring that you we all have experienced, can it ever be we, can we ever come to the point that uh, most people will really listen?
1: Well, I, I would like to think so. I think we have converted. I think there's a lot more people that are awake now, certainly than uh, when I started out as a teenager in the mid nineteen seventies. But uh, you know, there's a lot more people, certainly, especially female. I mean, back then there were no females that were awake that I knew of. Now there's plenty of them. So there, there, and young people too, but. As as we've has been shown in the last year and a half since this uh, what I call a pandemic has started, uh, we're, we're greatly outnumbered. There's no question about that. Uh, so we, those of us, but we're we're trying to do what we can with the platforms we have. This platform, I have a couple of shows, so I use those platforms. Other people, there's other great shows that I appear on. There are people are doing. I, I'm on Jeff Renz. He has uh, a big platform. I'm on there every Monday. Those platforms are important, and they're drawing audiences. I was on David Knight's Show yesterday. He, you know, he can get up like a million downloads sometimes. Those platforms are important, and we, you know, I try to, you know, advertise these shows as much as I can, and certainly blogs, writing on Substack or my blog. I'm doing what countless other people are doing, and this is they fear what we're seeing right here today. We have five people sitting and uh, giving unfiltered opinions or giving uh, our perspectives on things that are not uh, because we're million dollar talking heads on television and our the executives are telling us what you can and can't say which is what happens here at least I don't know about the other countries but it certainly happens here they fear that they they hate the idea that, that somebody like me or you or anybody can go online and just type out something and give their perspective this is how I see things without it being filtered through a television network or, or censorship and of course we see the response on the part unfortunately the last uh, couple years, especially with YouTube you know, deplatforming platforming all the big, uh, most popular conspiracy friendly people. Uh, we see it happening on Twitter, Facebook with the fact checkers and Instagram, it, you know, deplatformed Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, and obviously Twitter got rid of Donald Trump for the president of the United States at that time. So it's 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 hard to combat. It is, but we have to try. And that's all, as long as they give me the, these platforms, I'm going to keep talking and I'm going to keep writing. And, uh, we need to have more and more people doing it. And hopefully, and I, mean, I, I hear from people every day from all around the world that, that saw me or listened to me, and it's very gratifying to you know you're reaching people. It just, I, I'm not reaching enough, I know, but uh, that's all we can do and hope that eventually, you know, my, one of my favorite expressions is of Robert Kennedy uh, w- in South Africa. He said, uh, tiny ripples of hope. He talked about sending forth tiny ripples of hope, and eventually, if enough tiny ripples of hope form together, they can make a tidal wave overcome the mightiest walls of repression and justice. So everything I do is an attempt to try to send forth a tiny ripple of hope.
0: Thanks for your thoughts. And what in one of your interviews, Don, you also mentioned uh, that um, thir- for America, and for me, it's it's a first world country, but now it is becoming a third world country. Share me your thoughts and observation on what what's What's in the third world country, like in the Philippines, that is happening already here in America?
1: Well, I, I, you know, I've never been, I guess, to a third world country, really. I mean, I was in the Bahamas briefly on a cruise, but I I, I don't know if that's third world. But uh, so I don't know how to compare it. All I can do is compare America to itself and what it was even 20 years ago, certainly 30, 40 years ago. It's not the same thing. We have, uh, if you drive, uh, my friend Cynthia McKinney, the former congressperson who's uh, wonderful, but she, her voice has been stifled. She can't get back in office because she tells the truth. That's why they got rid of her in Congress. But she told me uh, she was driving through France a couple years ago. She drove all across France in a car. And uh, she said, I've, I haven't encountered a single pothole. And that's telling. France is a first world country, it has the trappings. It may not have our wealth, but it has the trappings. They don't, they prioritize. Other first world countries, even China, I mean, it's a terrible totalitarian society, but they do have a clean and solid infrastructure. America's infrastructure is a joke. And that was one of the biggest appeals of Donald Trump during his 2016 campaign. He pointed out one of the many giant elephants in the room. I've been talking behind the scenes about, about you know, what's, I mean, I live in one of the wealthiest counties in the United States. Our infrastructure is a disgrace. If a strong wind can knock these antiquated power grids out, you can't go, since you know, McKinney won an entire country without a pothole, you can't go a block in, in my county. So I can't imagine what it must be like in Mississippi and Arkansas, the poor areas. It's disgraceful. We haven't upgraded the, the infrastructure here since the Eisenhower administration. We don't prioritize. Instead, we're off in these horrible you know, escapades in, in foreign lands, and our leaders are lining their pockets and finding out new ways that they can... Uh, Give themselves raises and bonuses and, and money under the table. But things for the people, it doesn't happen. So while we still have the wealth, we have greater wealth than any country in the world. So by that standard, I guess maybe we're first world because of that. But it's distributed so poorly. Most people don't know in my book, Survival of the Richest, I talked about the bottom 50% of America. That's half, And that was then, I, that was written in 2017. It's gotten worse. But we'll still say it's 50%, has virtually nothing. They make less than twenty-seven thousand dollars a year. The bottom half of the country, which in, in America today, that you can't get an apartment on that in almost any area of the country, and we—they have less than one percent of the collective wealth. Half of the country. So you have those awful stats, like you know, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and a couple other guys have more wealth than that whole entire bottom half of the country together. So you can't. It doesn't matter how rich you are if no one sees the wealth. And certainly since the shutdown happened where they uh, got they uh, destroyed untold numbers of small businesses, we have no idea what the, dis- what the disparity of wealth must be now. And I probably need to write an updated uh, version of Survival of the Richest, but it's got to be even bleaker than it was. But uh, we may be a first world country, but it's in name only. And we certainly have the world's mightiest military we've ever seen. But what is the point of it? We just, I mean, we we couldn't even, uh, you know, get out of Afghanistan. And obviously, whatever we were doing there had no uh, impact because the Taliban was able to take the country over in a day or something. So, you know, I'm not sure what what kind of significance we we had in any way or other. So we're very misguided. uh, And it's because it's not because of the people, although the people are largely dumbed down and they become very passive. That's why you don't see any protests here. You see protests in England. You see protests in France. It's amazing. million people or as many went to see Bobby Kennedy talk last year in Berlin. And, and again, our, our state-controlled media, complete blackout of that. Here you have Robert F. Kennedy Jr. speaking at the exact site of his uncle, John F. Kennedy, president. Of one of his probably his most famous speeches, the Etienne Berliner speech. In Berlin, uh, and speaking and blasting the American government, blasting Bill Gates, blasting the, uh, the lockdown and, 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 and the medical tyranny that has come upon us and the media to abs it was nobody reported i wrote an article about it for american free press which is the last free newspaper in america i write there regularly again tiny ripples of hope i don't know what kind of uh, how many people they even reach but it's a limited circulation but that's all we can do is try to to get around the blackout of mainstream media and now social media
0: Thank you so much. I really appreciate where you focus your talents and I'll pass it on to Roy because there'll be so much more interesting questions and comments.
2: Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Hi Donald. We touched on the censorship uh, because I've been kicked off YouTube. I know Chris has been kicked his platform off Anchor which is Spotify which most people wouldn't even hear of. Are your books Self published, or do you have a publisher? And have you uh, kind of experienced kind of shadow banning and stuff like that and attacks for what you're doing because you're exposing for a long time now?
1: Well, I i am definitely being shadow banned on Facebook because I used to have a big influence there, but uh, it just I still post, I don't know why I do because uh, people don't see the posts and it gets very limited exposure. Uh, Other than that, no, I mean, I I don't do Twitter enough. I I need to be more active there. So I guess they haven't bothered with me. I don't have a big following. Uh, As far as uh, publishing, I have not self-published. And all my books have been published. Most of them have been published by Skyhorse, which is about the biggest publisher someone like me could get writing about the things I write about. And they're actually, I've now become a division of Simon & Schuster, which is one of the biggest publishers in the world. So I actually have a Simon & Schuster page. And I just hope the people at the top of Simon Schuster don't take a close look at, you know, my titles of my books because <laughs> they're probably gonna say, What well, how did this guy sneak in? But uh, in fact I used to joke when I first got to publish that says, you know, Simon Schuster's never gonna publish, me as an example and well technically they have their names associated with me, it, but uh, it's getting harder. I'm, I'm working on what is essentially Hidden History Three as we speak. And uh, although Skyhorse originally asked for it, they've now backed off. And uh, they—they're saying, well, conspiracy books aren't selling as well, which is ridiculous. Hidden history is still selling extremely well, especially for today's market. But uh, you know, they may be pressured as well. And realistically, in America, there are about three publishers that will publish conspiracy-type books—anything that hints of conspiracies. And Skyhorse is by far the biggest. So uh, I hope they publish the next book. But if not, I have a a friend that has embarked on publishing, and he's probably going to publish my book. I'm writing a book about the pandemic, which has te- the uh, te- uh, a tentative title of Masking the Truth. And uh, I'm still working at it as we speak. And uh, so I would probably use him to do Hidden History 3 as well. And, and I have, a you know, a built-in base of, of at least a certain amount of readers. So I think it would sell regardless of what I'd. I'd certainly make a lot more money doing it that way. But uh, no, I haven't had to self-publish yet, and there's, just, to, you know because as a writer if you consider yourself a serious writer there's although I know that lots of bigger writers have self-published now, there's still a stigma attached to it in my mind and uh, so I kind of try to stay away from it but uh, you know I may go there and obviously I'll make more money doing it I'll just have- okay.
2: And uh, like I mean there's a lot of different things from the books that you've done and everything but one that I'd like to touch on because a lot of people are kind of looking for how is this going to kind of pan out? And I know that you've discussed like the Nuremberg trial. So you'd like to just kind of touch on that.
1: Yeah, well, I think, you know, there's certain subjects like that that I, I don't know anybody else in America that has touched on that in a long time. And I'm surprised, really, I haven't uh, when people have interviewed me about crimes and cover ups. And, you know, Ron Paul wrote the foreword to it. So he obviously didn't really object to it. I'm surprised I didn't get more uh, you know, flack from it because uh, it really I think I'm the first person since really early in the post-World War II era to criticize the Nuremberg trials. And now, especially today, we still hear both left and right you know, talking about Nuremberg this and Nuremberg that. And it's become, in the public's mind, it's become associated with the ultimate brand of justice. You know, this is, uh, this is something Nuremberg, you know, the Nuremberg Code. Well, if you look at the Nuremberg trials, and I, I talk about them in crimes and cover-ups, uh, they were blasted harshly. By people at first, and one of those who blasted them was John F. Kennedy, a young senator. And, and most people don't realize that Kennedy devoted an entire chapter of Profiles in Courage, his best-selling book, to Senator Robert Taft. He called him a profile in courage, and Robert Taft was one of the last really great Republicans. Would have been fantastic president uh, until uh, people like Earl Warren and a young Richard Nixon engineered his uh, his ouster in, in favor of uh, Eisenhower in 1952. But uh, Taft was very critical of the Nuremberg Code, and he, he said, what I'm basically saying is, this is unprecedented. In the history of warfare, no other victor attempted to put the loser on trial, that to put them in a courtroom and say, you know, we're going we're to try you. You not only lost the war, I mean, you know, it typically, spoils of war was that you'd surrender. And, uh, you know, most often, a lot of the victors would be at least somewhat gracious. And uh, if, if you won, if you conquested a land, then you took the land. But uh, once a, a, a side surrendered, it was considered over. But we actually started this. You know, it, what led the way to that was the Treaty of Versailles after World War One, and of course that paved the way for Hitler. Again, court, the court—I call the court historians—won't admit this because they're not going to acknowledge anything that smacks of uh, pre-planning or you know conspiracy to use the dreaded word. But uh, after World War One, they. The, uh, the victor nations in the United States, England, uh, and France, they determined that the loser, Germany, was going to have to pay reparations to the losers. And wh- one of the ugly facts of history that most people are always amazed by when I tell them, Germany did not stop paying reparations from World War One until 2010. Now, you know, to me, that's a war crime. If, there, if anything such is, again, you lose a war and you have to pay the, the, the people that beat you, you continually have to pay them. That's what they did. They, they made Germany do it. So naturally, Germany was ripe for Hitler because uh, you know they, they, uh, most people don't know the Great Depression in Germany was way worse than it was in America. And uh, so you, you paved the way for something like that. But after, they took it a step further after World War II where they said, well, not only really, not only have to pay us, but we're actually going to try you in court. And we're going to hang some of you, which is what they did. But but we're going to take some some of you. We're going to bring into the United States under Operation Paperclip, and you're going to form NASA, which is what we did. We brought a lot of ex Nazis into the United States, and they helped form NASA, uh, which is another corrupt part of uh, the American government. Uh, so people never you know never look at these things, and they just assume that if you look at the way that uh, that Nuremberg was conducted, uh, it would, it would be the original uh, uh, judge was a Soviet, just a bloodthirsty guy from the Soviet Union that, that had presided over many show trials of dissidents where so many people died in the Soviet Union. So it, it was not any kind of justice from standpoint. And I have people like Eisenhower's brothers, Robert Taft, John F. Kennedy, uh, I, I, I get sidetracked when I was talking about Robert Taft. Robert Taft criticized it and, and Kennedy devoted a whole chapter to calling him a profile in courage. Now you're not going to hear anybody on the left today, you know, admit that John F. Kennedy criticized it, but uh, he did. And at that time, people uh, in America there was more of a diversity of opinion, and there's very little diversity now. So if someone like me comes along and questions uh, you know, some sacred cow like Nuremberg, and so far they've ignored it because I, I don't I don't think they can debate it because it uh, you know it, was, it, it first of all they can't debate the facts as you know why were some Nazi tongue and why were some allowed to come into the country and, and form NASA like Werner von Braun. And what really happened to Hitler? You know, and I, I discussed that in there. I don't think there's any question. Hitler was probably escorted to Argentina and probably lived a long life there. But uh but these are the questions that I and again, I, I'm only able to write these kind of history books, hidden history, because the court historians, as I call them, don't do. They they won't cover it. What they do is they just ignore evidence to the contrary. So they can, they can you know cavalierly say Lee Harvey Oswald killed Kennedy, which is the only way you could say something like that is not to have ever studied any evidence associated with the case. But they do, and unfortunately, when I see them on television, I see these you know professors just spouting out such incredible disinformation about JFK or 9/11 or any of these subjects. There's nobody there like me to counter them. Won't let somebody like me have that platform because they, their their argument won't hold up to somebody that's knowledgeable about it, but it will hold up to a, you know an impressionable group of college students that don't know anything, and that's that's where they usually speak. So, uh, but yeah, Nuremberg is um, we we crossed what I call one of those many moral lines in the sand. Uh, we've crossed many of them in our in our history, and certainly we've crossed a huge one when we shut down all the local businesses here and the mass mandates and all that. But that was a huge line to cross because once you've established that, you know, you can uh, you're going to ignore all the history of warfare and you're going to put the loser on trial. It's, it's a trial of the victor, vanquished by the victors. And I think uh, that's I, I want no part of that. And I don't know why any Americans would be uh, happy with it.
2: Excellent. And like, I mean, obviously, you're seen through all the different stories that you cover like i call them the bad boys they're kind of we know they're doing it and nothing is done have you experienced many that have been caught and what are your solutions because i mean you're 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 reaching audience if you're on different shows as well like because there's a load of people out there we we know the problems but have you got what what would be your magic one for resolving some of this
1: well i i think i don't think there is a magic one and i've i've you know Especially in the last year and a half, and I've given, you know, I I thought, I said when Donald Trump was elected uh, that uh, I I didn't think he was sincere, but I thought that was our last hope, because if he, if he had even attempted any of the rhetoric to do any of the things he was promising to do, to finally uh, get uh, a grasp on the immigration, to finally bring industry back to the country and, uh, you know, and all these awful trade deals that have uh, decimated American industry and, and destroyed the working class, if he really brought our troops home, and ended our disastrous following policy if he really uh, built the infrastructure, but most importantly, if he drained the swamp. And that term drain the swamp is, that's probably the saddest part of of Trump's wasted four years where he literally did nothing but tweet most of the time. But after, if if he had drained the swamp, if you had seen some of those perp walks that we all hoped for, Hillary Clinton and people like that, they're lifelong criminals that have committed, I've detailed their crimes in my books. I mean these people are horrible people they're beyond corrupt but they get away with it and that's i think that's the saddest part of all this is that we're seeing that uh, you you asked if anybody's but i i don't know of anybody at the level of power that has been held accountable for anything they're utterly above the law the the law cannot touch them when you have somebody like hunter biden who's the son of the vice president the son of the president now the United States, from what I've heard, you know, there was video of him raping a ten-year-old Chinese girl on his laptop. Now, I, I, you know, I don't know if that's true, but uh, you know, I, I don't know what else you would need to see. And there are lots of other nasty things on there as well. And the same thing we said about the uh, uh, Anthony Weiner's laptop, the former um, New York guy that supposedly had Hillary Clinton doing some horrible things on there, but the public never gets to see that. And it doesn't matter what the evidence is because they are utterly above the law and i don't think america can ever call itself any kind of a uh, a democracy or a constitutional republic well, we admit that we're we're just not going to hold the people that have power to the same standards the laws don't apply to them because if they did most of the people in washington dc would be in jail they'd be in law, they'd be you know locked away for a long time but they're not so i think the only the only hope i see and I do hold out hope for what we're seeing at the local school boards, uh, including um, my neighboring county of Loudoun County, Virginia. Uh, they, the parents there have been very active in uh, addressing the school boards and calling them tyrants, which they are, and are really chewing them out for the horrible curriculum that is polluting the minds of the children here. Not to mention forcing them to wear masks and stuff when there's uh, excuse me, I have a frog with um, when there's virtually no chance of them getting. COVID, Uh, but we'll see if they can make any inroads because I think that's the only way change is possible, reform is possible in America, but we may be able to do something at that level, bottom level. So if we can start recalling some of the school board officials, uh, getting them to resign and disgrace and getting some honest people in there, then it may start cascading upwards. Then maybe you can get some honest mayors in, maybe some governors, uh, some state legislatures, uh, police chiefs, Things like uh, you know, superintendents, uh, you know, city managers—that's where we have to, I think, focus because the national level is impossible. Those those the politicians we have in Congress, the White House, Supreme Court—these people are, are are might as well be lords and emperors. They might as well wear crowns. Uh, you can't hold them accountable. And so I think we have to try to do what we can do. And uh, that's uh, unfortunately that's the only hope I see. Because beyond that, I'm very disillusioned about what's happening here.
2: Excellent. And like you you mentioned the schools and I know your book, uh, Bullyocracy, you know, where the teachers bully and you might go into that because um, it's something that, because I have a speaking podcast and nearly all of my guests, they've all been bullied. And, you know, it goes on a lot. And people, I I don't know, I don't think, I think people keep it into themselves. They don't want to, you know, let people know that there's been bullying going on, but it seems to be rampant around the world.
1: Yeah, I think it is. And while I tried to find out more about how it is in the world, I know what it's like in America, because in America, uh, it, it, our school systems revolve around this concept of popularity. And that's why I called the subtitle is how the social hierarchy enables bullies to rule schools, workplaces, and society at large. It's a social hierarchy. And the concept of popularity drives it. And of course, popularity in America is built around sports, mostly, and mostly football and our football, not, your, not soccer. Uh, American football and uh, basketball mostly, and cheerleaders, you know, the girls are cheerleaders, and uh, people know, the kids know where they stand in that pecking order, and it's just recently, the studies have shown what a lot of us knew all along, that the bullies are not these troubled kids from the other side of the tracks, so and maybe their father's beating him as an alcoholic, and he's taking out all his pain, what well, he's going through on, on the other kids. No, it doesn't happen very often. Most of the time, it's the popular kids and bullies. They're finding that out. And uh, that's why they never get punished. And that's why you see I have tons and tons of stories in bulliocracy. The system always reacts the same. And it's, it, this is what I'm talking about, how systemic, how large the corruption is. If, you, if your system is so corrupt, if your society is so diseased and corrupt – that you can't even hold, uh, you know, if, if some kid is torturing another kid during a, during the, the day, where you have adult authority figures everywhere in those buildings, how is any of this happening? Security cameras everywhere, how is any bullying happening? Yet it manages to happen. And you have police presence now. We have police officers in every one of our schools now. They never stop bullying ever because, again, both police officers were former bullies. It's a bully personality that, that fits law enforcement perfectly. So they're rooting for the bully. And the teachers we find, again, as you mentioned, more and more examples, unfortunately, of teachers who are the bullies themselves. And uh, there was a very uh, viral video that went viral here on YouTube. I don't know if you might have taken it up. by now, Of a guy that, a uh, middle aged man, uh, addressing his school board talking about being bullied, you know, years ago in that same school district, and he pointed at the, the president of the school board and said, and you were the one who stuck my head in the urinal. You were the main bully. And you could just see the guy, Oh, you know, he, he instantly kind of referred back to a bully. But so what hope do you have? Who knows how many other people at that level were bullies? So what it, it worked for them. They're bullies. So who are they going to be rooting for, the bullies and the victims? So it's a, it's a big subject. And unfortunately, you know, the, the, the problem is so big and the corruption is so you know extensive that I have gotten very little support. I, I've heard from lots of readers like you talk about. So many people have been bullied. This is touched so, you know, uh, an issue that's touched almost every family in America. So, you know, wow, I, you spoke for me. I went through this and it's great to hear that. But all the so-called anti-bullying organizations, they aren't interested in my book all. None of them have asked me to speak. none of them none of them contacted me about the book because I found looking at them that most of them are not trying to eradicate bullying. And in fact, they always defend school systems, which is the problem. School systems are the problem. and now I think we're finding since the lockdown, people are finally focused, I think more and more people are saying what kind of awful teachers America has by and large. And I'm sorry, they just do when you see, the way they've acted on this, where they you know, they don't want to teach the children. They, they, they're showing out partying on the beach. And we have videos of this. And they don't want to go to work. And it doesn't surprise me because I wrote a book about bullying. And I can give you, you know, example after example how at best they just, you know, didn't listen to a child that was came to them as the authority figure and said, hey, you know, I I you know, this, this is happening to me. They dismissed it or called them tattletales but these are the same people that don't want to teach your kids or have transgender story hour or, uh, you know, or whatever they're double masking. Uh, So it doesn't surprise me at all. But uh, yeah, that's, uh, it's one of the books I feel most passionate about. Uh, And I've been interviewed on it some, but uh, uh, the conspiracy books get more attention than that one does. But obviously I think it's a really important subject.
2: Yeah. No, excellent. Listen, thank you very much, Donald. And I'll pass you on to Steve. Thank you.
3: Oh, Wow. Wow, it's great hearing you guys talk. Uh, so where do I begin? I guess, Don, just as a little bit of a backstory, I mean, I'm quite cynical because I've been so far down the rabbit hole that to me, everything's pantomime. It's not supposed to work. There are supposed to be potholes. They're not supposed to be fixed. Um, you know, uh, I've heard you talk about the infrastructure that our tax money paid for in Afghanistan. Uh, you know, they're, 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 building af- they're building infrastructure in Afghanistan and creating enemies by funding, uh, you know, the Taliban and ISIS. Uh, so it's not supposed to work because that's satanic inversion. So that's part of my frustration. So to me, everything is a charade, and to expect you know we know presidents have no power; they're just puppets. Uh, to me, the Council on Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, the Bilderbergs, the Rothschilds, you know, the 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 Fabian Society, the the secret societies—they've they control you know especially the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, you know, was created in 1917 to create the UN, to create the CIA, to steer public policy, to control both parties, you know, Democrat and Republican, to create another divide and rule concept that puts two people in two boxes, creates divide. But my point is, uh, you know, to me, since 1917, or at least, you know, uh, you know, since uh, World War II, presidents have been selected. I mean, Truman was a 33rd degree Scottish right. Uh, he dropped two bombs on, you know, apparently on civilian installations. So we've been watching, we're watching a movie and it's not supposed to work. And, you know, to complain about what's going on in Afghanistan is sort of, it's sort of, uh, it's moot because it's supposed to be like this, you know? So it's just, I'm just sort of venting because it's my frustration. And I know, I know you know this. So I'm going to lead into a, a question that is a personal question of mine, because, you know, the Kennedy family is apparently an elite family and. You know, let's face it, you, you'd have to be an idiot to think Lee Harvey Oswald, who they let get murdered on TV, you know, uh, the, the only suspect, you know, uh, they let the murder of a president, supposedly the murder of a president get murdered. If, to think he killed uh, JFK is ridiculous. And to think Sirhan Sirhan alone killed RFK is ridiculous. Um you know he Sirhan Sir it looks like he was a Manchurian candidate. There was twelve gunshots. He had eight. Uh, so my point is, you know, the are the Kennedys? Do they have to keep quiet? They know what's going on, right? I'm just my question is kind of like, and now that Sirhan Sirhan is like apparently you're going to be paroled, this is all another psyop. You know, wouldn't the wouldn't the Kennedys say let him be paroled because he didn't kill my father? You know, it was a, it was a, you know. Why don't, no one ever says that. And that's my frustration. Like, do they yeah. know what's going on? They have to. Well,
1: I think they do. And I, you, you mentioned our, uh, Saran being paroled. And I, I, had my, I had the Donald Jeffrey show that airs every Wednesday now. And, uh, last night I had on my show, Paul Trade, who was one of the shooting victims in the Ambassador Hotel. He's 96 years old, still in remarkably great shape. Uh, great, you know, great guest. And, uh, also had one of Saran's uh, old lawyers on Lori Dutek. And uh, so, you know, just talking about that, but, <clears throat> excuse me. Unfortunately, RFK's children, RFK Jr. is great. He's front and center, and he's become kind of a pariah in the Kennedy family. And there was one other brother. But uh, Rory Kennedy and Joe Kennedy third, uh, who used to serve in Congress, kind of a nondescript, he certainly was no RFK Jr., they came out strongly. And, in fact, of course, the New York Times gave a platform to Rory Kennedy about, you know, you can't let the guy that killed my dad. Out, which was amazing because they've they have been uh, I, I call it kind of a don't ask don't tell policy on the Kennedy part, uh, the part which started with Jackie Kennedy who started this curious attitude of this can't be and you look at Caroline Kennedy who's uh, you know I think she's four years old now and uh, she still like, recoils if anybody talks about her father dying you know I mean you're, on, you're talking about almost sixty years ago and you can't talk about it this is ridiculous. Whereas her brother, JFK Jr., was the only Kennedy behind the scenes, and I found this out. Again, in Hidden History, I conducted the first independent investigation into his death, and I found out from his high school girlfriend and from someone in his adult inner circle that strongly requested to remain anonymous. There's still that fear there that behind the scenes, he had a quest to find out who killed his father. In fact, he talked about it all the time behind the scenes. And... He knew that Oswald hadn't done it, and it was a source of contention, especially between him and his sister, Caroline. They were estranged uh, to a great degree in the last years of his life, and I think largely because of that. So they weren't all that way. And there's some indication it's possible, you know, a couple of other RFKs. Drug overdose David, another one ran into a tree while supposedly playing football and skiing. You know, typical Kennedy death. Nobody dies like that except the Kennedys. But, um, so who knows? Maybe behind the scenes they were as well. But yeah, the Kennedy family's attitude has always bothered me. I can try contrast contrasted to the Martin Luther King family attitude where uh, Dexter King went and visited James Earl Ray early on in prison, shook his hand and said, I know you didn't kill my dad. And Coretta Scott King, unlike Jackie Kennedy, uh, at a very advanced age, traveled across state to testify in a trial for James Earl Ray to get a new hearing. So uh, I wish the Kennedys had acted like that. I can't begin to tell you, other than RFK Jr., who has uh, become very bolder and bolder. But uh, the rest of the family, you're right. I mean, if, they, if they're supposedly, when I talk to people about this, they say, well, you know, they fear. They're, they're doing this out of fear. Well, if they thought they were going to kill more of them, their strategy hasn't been successful. Because, I mean, in Hidden history, I chronicled all the strange deaths of the Kennedys. And there's more than you think. And they're still dying. You know, last year, uh, you know, one of the strangest of all, uh, RFK Jr.'s uh, niece, you know, died in a bizarre accident out here on the Chesapeake Bay, not far from me. Supposedly, she took her eight-year-old son out on a choppy Chesapeake Bay to chase a kickball. Only one of the richest families in the world couldn't replace a kickball. So, yeah, uh, yeah so we're supposed to believe these things. And I, I'm skeptical of everything, but like you— and I'd urge you to—I to, uh, think it was on Substack—I wrote a, uh, an article not that long ago called "Everybody's in Show Biz, where I play around with that myself. Uh, you know, I, I'm very much influenced by the Truman Joe type of mentality, and uh, certainly looking into things like Sandy Hook and the uh, Austin bombing and things like that. You come and you know, where you come across—I mean, again—in bibliography, I researched uh, these uh, shooter drills at schools, and uh, there there are such things as crisis actors. They exist. And uh, there, in fact, there used to be crisisactors.org. I see they have scrubbed the website now and find it yeah. anymore, but it did, it did exist. And uh, they, you know, they advertise for these people.
3: And the government would, would made- uh, has a company called Mulan something, and it's a, they do, yep. they train soldiers in mock, in mock, uh, yes. you know, <laughs> and they have people without limbs, but they didn't have their legs blown off. And if you saw the film of it, you would think it's real.
1: Yeah. And I, so, so when, when, when they ridicule people talking about Sandy Hook or Boston Bomber and these other things. It's a very small step to go to, to ask that question because if you're, I I, I detail some of these yeah. and some of these some of these are psychologically damaging to children. What are they doing? They're not telling the children to sh- shoot, so they don't know. They think it's a real shit. And some some of these kids are young elementary students. Sometimes they don't tell the teachers, and they employ actors, crisis actors, and use fake blood, they use fake bullets, fake yeah. medical. Now, all the stuff that that some people are claiming happens at Sandy Hook and Boston bombing and these other incidents. So, how is that an outlandish notion when you know the government is already doing that and admitting it? And well, so, the recent
3: gonna... the recent Afghanistan thing, you can tell that the plane yes. is, looks inflatable. There's no engines in it. And <laughs> would, pe- it <laughs> would, would people really do that? I mean, and there's a guy. <laughs> there's a guy actually standing like he's looking at his cell phone. He's on the side of the plane. <laughs> Sitting on the yeah. plane, looking at his yeah. cell phone, as this drill is going on, and the, so at any rate, my, my part of my frustration, you know, just you kind of covered it, but it was like, if the Kennedy, like, I guess the Kennedys have to be quiet, uh, you know, because they'll get killed. Because why wouldn't they just come out and say, you know, you think Lee Harvey Oswald, the, the murderer, they, you think the, the Secret Service would let this guy get murdered on TV? Exactly. I mean, you think he really killed? I mean, so that's my. You know that's part of what i wanted to ask you and you did get to it so, but getting back to the the kennedy assassination uh and the you know the jim garrison tapes and john barber i i, I was riveted by um mark lane's performance of, well not performance because he was genuine or at least i thought he was genuine you know in his when he was interviewed by uh, william buckley that little snickering illuminati uh dirtball but uh, my point is mark lane on television was riveting in, in getting the truth across about what was happening, but John Barber said Mark Lane was a bit of a shill. Now I don't know if you, I, I was trying to figure out how was Mark Lane a shill. I know he had ties with Jane Fonda, so can you explain that?
1: Well, uh, John Barber's a good friend of mine. We're a re- great friend. We talked last night, and uh, so we're much rewarding friendship in my life. He's eighty-eight. We've had years him old. on twice. Yeah, 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 well, I I think he probably set this up because we, whenever we're on a show, like we we always try to tell the people about the other guy. <laughs> he's on blue. So I I'd say yeah, he, he's amazing. He,
3: but, I mean, uh, he has more energy than the entire panel. Yes,
1: he does. When he calls I me, mean, he's 88 years old and he's still planning things like a teenager. You know, like he'll he'll he'll, he'll story, say like, what his what he's
3: story?" Gonna- is <laughs> utterly incredible. I mean, his story yeah. is incredible.
1: It is, and he has a combination of... uh, My next book coming out in another month or so is going to be in a showbiz called Unbarred Fame. So I I have a really big interest in showbiz too. So John Barber combines the JFK assassination and showbiz in a unique way for me. So we we hit it off really well. But, uh, you know, Mark Lane, if you've been in the JFK assassination research community as long as I have, first of all, it's totally dysfunctional. Uh, Most of them are, you know, they're just... They're, they have huge difficult egos. Uh, they're jealous of each other. I, I know they're jealous of me. They paid no attention. They didn't history became a bestseller, but it, had, it was to no thanks to anybody in the research community except somebody like John, not really in the community. But mm. uh, Mark, Mark Lane, as I said, I worked for him as a teenage. Volunteer, he was my hero. I really looked up to him as a civil libertarian, the kind of leftist that used to exist in America. But I'm aware of all the allegations about it. you know he was associated with Jim Jones and he got out alive, and I've heard, heard these things. And uh, but you hear that about all of the critics. Uh, there's there there's Penn Jones, the guy in Texas. Uh, there uh, you know tons of the people now. Everybody kind of accuses each other of being, of working for the CIA or being a disinfo agent. And I'm sure, you know, there are infiltrators everywhere. All you got to do is go into these forums and they're full of trolls. I get trolls all the time. I used to especially before they started shadow banning me on Facebook. They would send trolls in all the time to try to disrupt what I was saying. And, uh, but, you know, I, I, I'm never going to accuse anybody because you can't approve it. And I hope Mark Lane was legitimate. Uh, John Barber's never really said anything that bad about him, other than he had, I think, he, you know, I met Mark Lane years ago, but I think he had a, a maybe he, he didn't live up to his expectations and something. I can't remember what exactly what it was, but certainly it's legitimate to question anybody. Uh, I mean, uh, Sylvia Mara that wrote Accessories After the Fact, one of the best books about the assassination, uh, she turned on Jim Garrison just because uh, he didn't answer her letter fast enough or something. I mean, that's, those are the kind of egos that that are in this. And uh, that's the unfortunate part of somebody like me, is that uh, you encounter these people and whether it's JFK assassination, 9-11, or any of these subjects, the people that are open-minded and gravitate towards them, they tend to have problematic personalities. And uh, so sometimes they're difficult to deal with. Now, Mark Lane, I didn't find him that way at all, but uh, I understand the allegations against him. And uh, that, that, you know, a lot of it revolves around the Jim Jones thing, that why was he associated? He was his attorney and he, he made it out alive and nobody else did. I don't know. I mean, we really, all I can do is look at what his work, on the surface, his work, he was a great civil libertarian. And uh, that's what I like to consider myself as. So I'd be very disillusioned further if, if he wasn't legitimate, but I don't know. I don't have any proof He came
3: across as genuine to me. I mean, when he had the pipe and he gave that present, you know, that he was interviewed and Buckley was supposed to shred him to pieces and he shredded Buckley to pieces. And that was just unbelievable. I mean, do you think, um, I mean, I'm just sort of talking generally because let's just say the word is that Kennedy, the Kennedy family is of the elite. And, you know, perhaps maybe, do you think JFK was, on board for the new world order, and then he changed his mind. Like, how do you think it works? Because they don't let anyone in office who's not on board, whether it's Democrat or Republican. It's it's just the right. same team wearing different jerseys,
1: right? Exactly. And I, well, I think Kennedy was probably the last uh, person they let in, and they're not going to make that mistake again. But I I think they let him in because uh, he, on the surface, he had the veneer of a typical establishment uh, internationalist. He said, "I'm a citizen of the world." Uh, he belonged to a local chapter of the CFR, and he had gone to Harvard. Uh, he studied uh, under uh, John Keen, John Maynard Keynes, and, and uh, but I'm sure they were worried about his father and a lot of the Kennedy uh, hatred. And I talk a lot about this in history and hidden history. Three, I'm going into it further because the left absolutely despises the Kennedys. They still do, and they always have. I mean, I I, I have the quotes in hidden history from Malcolm X to uh, to. Uh, William Kunstler, who was, uh, you know, the leftist lawyer for the Chicago uh, Eight at the Democratic Convention, vicious, vicious things they said about the Kennedys. I mean, Kunstler said it was a good thing they were assassinated. He said it publicly. And, and nothing, you know, everybody just kind of nods. Yeah. And uh, you could never say that about, you know, FDR or Truman or even LBJ. Certainly not Bill Clinton or somebody like that. But they say whatever they want about the Kennedys. And uh, I think that it, a lot of the hatred of them goes back to old Joe Kennedy. And he had all the right enemies. I mean, FDR hated him. Churchill hated him. Uh, he he was he was against World War II. He was an America firster, and uh, he had a very good reason for that. He said, you know, I have a lot involved here. You know, I have a tremendous investment with my sons. I don't want them to get killed. And as it turned out, he lost his oldest son, and he lost his oldest daughter in separate plane clashes. So uh, he you know, he had a right to be worried, because it was on a personal level. And, but most people don't know it. I just I discovered this through RFK Jr.'s book, Family Values. I did not know that uh, in the nineteen fifties, the CIA hatred of the Kennedys really began with the old man. Joe Kennedy served on a, very, a little publicized commission in the nineteen fifties to study the intelligence agencies. And I guarantee those, uh, you.
3: I guarantee you that was Prescott Bush generated. I guarantee it.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I, he but Kennedy, he uh, he recommended that the CIA be stripped of all of its powers except intelligence gathering. This was the 1950s. So you can imagine the ripples, Alan Dulles, you know, was predisposed to hate Kennedy because of that. And uh, certainly, you. I do have to wonder why. And then you get into the kind of theatrical aspect of it. They let Kennedy come into office just to assassinate him. I don't know. Do they want this to happen? Mm-hmm. Was, this, was this part of the plan? Let's... Let's martyr him. Let's have let's have something like that. I don't build know. A cam-
3: it, yeah, build a Camelot and then destroy it.
1: Yeah, because because it uh, certainly they they had enough to worry about with old Joe Kennedy, but, it, but you know Kennedy was also saying a lot of the right things for them. He was buying into the Cold War rhetoric, you know, support any foe, you know, that kind of thing. This is his inaugural address, while, while beautifully written, was just kind of a Cold War you know, rhetoric. But it was not until you know I think he. They first got worried when the, the Bay of Pigs thing fell apart, and he didn't provide air support, and then he fired Alan Dulles. And uh, yeah. Cabell and himself, and, and top and three who, people in the table. Dulles,
3: they made – who was the head of the Warren Commission? Dulles.
1: Yeah, well, he, well, he was the most powerful man. Exactly. He was the most active member. And yeah. Cabell, uh, Charles Cabell, his uh, uh, brother was Governor Earl Cabell of Dallas at the time. He was, mayor, he was the uh, mayor of Dallas at the time. And we found out in the, the JFK assassination documents released a couple of years ago, one of the few that had any relevance was a document that verified what a lot of us suspected anyhow, that the America Bell also was a CIA asset as well. So, yeah. uh, you know, you probably didn't even have to know that. But the hatred- And that gets G- into uh, another
3: thing of the lunacy of, you know, there's a president murdered, but the documents are sealed until 2039.
1: Right. Exactly. No. Yeah, I what, mean, what the they, public, they yeah. just-
3: you know, they they work with impunity. They do what they want, you know. Yeah,
1: and, and, and nobody questions these things. Obviously, if, if, there is, if there was just a minimum wage loser that had no contacts at all, Lee Harvey Oswald, why would anything be withheld on the grounds of national security? But you can ask, we still have World War I documents that are classified. Uh, you have Jack in England. Scotland Yard is still withholding uh, information about the Jack the Ripper murders. From eighteen eighty eight, yeah. So I mean, so so, and again, you, the speculation there is people that investigate it. On myself is that with some royal family involvement, obviously, because there had to be some. Why would you withhold anything about the murders of prostitutes, at the East End yeah. of London in eighteen eighty eight, unless there was something uh, bigger than there? So, uh, you know, well, they, they just kind of give the game away, but it doesn't matter how obvious they make it, because uh, and I, I think I, I'm unusual in most of the critics where I think that they like the advertise what they're doing. For instance, it took me many years of you know, investigating the JFK assassination before I finally realized, you know, all this, this magic bullet I've been talking about, single bullet that was, you know, pretty much undamaged. I finally asked myself, uh, okay, you have sophisticated plotters. Why would they plant a bullet that looked like it hit nothing? Why wouldn't you plant a bullet that looked like it hit something? They planted a bullet that was identical to test uh, bullets, same ammunition fired into cotton wadding. Or, you know, yeah. The commission's own records show that. So I started calling those things calling cards. Another great example is after nine eleven, where everything was obliterated, ground into dust, but one of the hijackers' passports floated down and was found intact. Mohammed Atta's passport.
3: Yeah, well, so, and they had it solved.
1: I mean they had it yeah. totally solved. <laughs> yeah. Calling cards. They like they're, and they're like Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper, you know, taunted the London police. And that's what they're doing. They're taunting us. Yeah. You know, that gets into
3: something I wanted to say um, to tie in. That's, I said it with John Barber that it's so important. The JFK assassination is so important because it's so riddled with holes. Yet they got away with duping the public. Even though the public majority, if you ask, they think something's fishy. But my point is, if you can understand how, you know, uh, Dan Rather lied. He said, you know, a simple thing like saying the president jerked forward right. on the news is he's an aide to the narrative, just like Walter Cronkite lied for decades to the public um, and uh, and perpetuated wars that weren't really about communism or the, the the stopping of communism. He got award an award for that. Um, it, it's it's important that this, the the same deceptions going on today that that. You know the, the the media is lying on the same scale, and Absolutely. and it, it happened with nine eleven, and it, it's happening now. So nothing's changed, and it's supposed to be this way. You know. Um, yeah,
1: I think, I think so, and I think and I I've said you know that they could literally and and that's why we see some of these things like Sandy Hook or Boston bombing whatever. I think the reason you see uh, a lot of the Witnesses that are so over the top and so ridiculous that back before YouTube was on, was uh, censored, used to have great videos where they would give out the Oscar awards for crisis actors, and they would show <laughs> clips and, and it was great because it called them out because people human beings yeah. don't act like that. Oh, in the Paris I mean, in
3: the Paris shooting, yes, the guy they interviewed a guy who was shot and he blocked it with his cell phone,
1: right? Oh, uh. I'm not sure which one that is. There are so it many. This was in Paris. So oh, the guy the, 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 the guy the was
3: shot Paris. in his cell phone. It hit his cell phone and didn't kill him. And, oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the, well, I think the Paris one was the one that featured the obvious. Mannequins thrown on the street that were supposed to be victims hit by the runaway bus. So I, I, they're, they're, I used to pay attention to these things. And then, of course, the I think the best example was the uh, gay nightclub in Florida, the Pulse nightclub, where uh, the shooting. And they originally, they showed video of these uh, these two heroic guys, you know, carrying out a victim who, again, all these victims, you're not sure where the injury is, you know, what, what's exactly going on, but they carried him out. And uh, so, okay, you look, that's a heartwarming story, but they're going in the wrong direction, actually. They Some people pointed that out. But when they showed the entire clip of the entire video, you can see after it gets out of the, they, they suddenly you know, let the guy down and they all start dancing around. Yeah. I mean, this is—it's out. it used to be out there to see. So, you know, what do you, how do you well, handle they, they have some that? of the same <laughs>
3: actors at different false yes. flags. Yes. yes, you know, yes. At the Boston bombing, they had the guy in the cowboy hat. Yes, yes. I mean, he was—he's been a—he's career—he's a career, he's a career uh, you know, job for the military. Um, yeah. Yep. So, time's running. I wanted to read in nineteen on on April twenty seventh, nineteen sixty one. JFK um, held a speech where he where he talked to the where he talked to the press corps of the day, um, and. It's, a, you know, he opened up the speech by mentioning Karl Marx and that Karl Marx, um, you know, went on to do what he did because he they didn't give him a five dollar raise at a newspaper at the at the Herald <laughs> Tribune in London. And it's right. just it's just he would not have started his speech to the press corps and mentioned Karl Marx if it wasn't deliberate. There's a reason because we're, you know, the New World Order is a Marxist movement, you know, it's or whatever you want to call it. It's a Zionist, a Jesuit Marx's movement. But in this speech, I wanted, you know, we were talking about how infiltrated this cancer is from the top down in a military precision, compartmentalized precision where people don't know what's going on. This is what he said in this speech that will require to beat this. He said, I'll just read like one, one, it says it it would, it require, it would require change in outlook, a change in tactics, a change in missions by the government, by the people, by every businessman or labor leader and by every newspaper, for we are opposed around the world by a monolithic, ruthless conspiracy. I mean, so yeah. even he back then in 1961 was saying "It there's the only way to do this would be for everyone to be awake and for everyone to stop it.
1: Right. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's, it's pretty obvious and that's a, the uh, the problem for people like us, you know, is, and I'm sure you've encountered it. And uh, like you know, I, I have a very large family, and I the only one I've been able to wake up is my son. No That's one crazy. else is awake, and and, and uh, but I but I've woken up lots of people all over the world apparently because I hear from them uh, or at least they're yeah. uh, you know I don't have any. but the people around me, I can't. And I other people, you know, I've I've interviewed so many whistleblowers from from Wolfgang Halbig to uh, Richard Gage of 911 Architects and Engineers of Truth. So many of their marriages broke up because of these things. Their families abandoned them. And, uh, you know, it's 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 very sad, you know, and it takes it takes a lot of courage. You know, one of my favorite stories I got from Don Barber, which, you know, he worked with Jim Garrison closely, is that when Garrison, uh, again, abandoned his wife. You know, you've seen JFK and Sissy say second he says, you know, damn, live, I can't fight the whole world and you, too. And he's exactly right. He was doing that. And in real life, his wife is portrayed by Sissy Spacek, abandoned him. She couldn't take the heat and she left him. And what he did at the end of his life was the most courageous thing he ever did. He had, you know, she had abandoned him. He called her to his bedside when he was dying and demanded that they be remarried so that she could collect his pension. And to me, that's that's courage that very few people would have. So whenever anybody well, talks about and I say, look, he did that. I haven't heard of anybody doing too many more courageous things than that, but. That's the price most whistleblowers pay, and people that are trying to, they get abandoned by their family, they they get canceled in one way or another, and uh, it's yeah. it's a shame.
3: Well, what's the because I was riveted by Jim Garrison, and I I like you said, I mean he's he's that kind of guy where you just say there's he's one in a billion. This man, yep. and wh- where can we watch that? Is it the Garrison Files by John Barber?
1: Yeah, you got to go go to John Barber's world. I think it is, but to, and you know, even yeah, the Garrison files. The better, the John Barber's uh, second movie is even better. It's The uh, American media and the second assassination of John yeah, F. Kennedy. I've
3: seen
1: that too. Yeah, okay. that's that's a really good overall. And it's the Garrison tapes, I believe, was the original one.
3: The Jim Garrison and, uh, tapes.
1: Yeah, the Jim yeah, the Garrison I, tapes. and that's that's really good. It focuses more on Garrison, but the the other one uh, that he did really focuses. Uh, on uh, on the the failure of the American media. Because again, all this we're talking about here today with the free press, and again, I don't know how the press is in Ireland or England as opposed, but I know how much we brag about having a free press here. and We have a First Amendment, which is supposed to mean something, but if you've been following the news, you must realize that very few people in public life, especially the left, where I came from as a civil libertarian, the left today that has power does not believe in the First Amendment at all. They don't. They want to cancel anybody they don't agree with. So, they don't believe the free speech. And uh, I don't know how it is in the rest of the world, but that's America's big problem: is that we've allowed people, these tyrants, to control it. It's where they want to get. They don't want us to be saying these things. They want us canceled in one way oh. or another for having the nerve to, to view these kinds of uh, perspectives.
3: They, if they could, they'd give us frontal lobotomies. Every one of us. Yes. I mean, yes. Yes. They would, yes. I mean, the yep. last thing I want to say before I pass you to Chris is the. Amazing thing, if you watch the Jim Garrison tapes and you get into the JFK, and he solved the case of the JFK murder, which was, it was a conspiracy by the CIA that murdered JFK. But when I woke up, the astonishment of what this world really is, every layer I peeled off of this onion, I couldn't, I just thought it was going to end. It has to get better. And it just got worse and worse. And I think I could see he... You know, he I think he had a similar experience where he just couldn't believe he couldn't you know, he couldn't. He was trying to tell the public, you guys have no idea how far this yeah. goes and no one would listen. And that's pretty much what happens today. So I'm going to yeah. pass you to Chris. Thanks. It's really great. I love your work. And I passed the um, the Thank Cynthia McKenney who uh, interview you did because uh, she was a, the only one in Congress that ever spoke the truth that I ever heard. And, you know, your interview great. with her, I just sent around to everybody. So,
1: thank you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that.
4: Hi, Don. Thanks for coming on. Um, we're all podcasters here, obviously, trying to wake people up consistently on a daily basis, week to week, et etc. et cetera. You've been exposing stuff for, you know, decades and writing lots of books. And you just mentioned, obviously, the only one in your family at the moment that is awake is your son. I've also seen the blog that you wrote as well that I think it's, um, you know, you're not invited to a wedding unless you get you know a negative test or, or vaccinated etc cetera, etc cetera. so just shows the kind of sad times we're in and it shows nearly it gives us a bit of uh this hope to, to realize that someone like yourself and the extended family that you have and after decades of re- writing and research that you have with loved ones around you your son is the only person who's actually awaked to what is actually going on how does that um How does that settle with you? I mean, have you, like, can you still talk to family members or besides from the one you're not allowed to the latest wedding or how does that kind of, how do you cope with that? Or is it kind of a certain thing, you know, a long, long time ago, you've just got over it, and you go, look, this is the way it is. They're not going to wake up. I need to get on with my life. Or how does Don cope with that situation?
1: (laughs) You know, my my family had had been hearing me ranting and raving behind the scenes for decades. And I did, you know, my first book was published in 2007, my novel, the only fiction I've had published. And. Uh, that didn't cause that. They they were kind of supportive of that. When I started, you know, with hidden history, especially because it, it did get a lot of attention, and I you know I was on RP television, uh, I was on the Travel Channel, uh, you know, and I coast to coast many times. So I, I think because I got a little bit of a notoriety for it, I think I don't know what it caused, jealousy or whatever, but uh, it became subject that couldn't be discussed anymore. They were no, they, they weren't interested in it at all. So I just stopped talking about it, and uh, I realized I had never influenced any of them all the years, you know, you think they might look and say, hey, this, you know, this, he was talking about that decades ago. But it hasn't, especially with COVID, that has created a huge uh, wedge. Obviously, if I'm not, you know, can't go to a wedding and there's a, uh, there's a problem with one of my sisters and her kids, because uh, I don't know if I'll see them again. I don't know. Because uh, of, the, of the vaccine, I'm not going to get vaccinated. My kids aren't going to get vaccinated. So we're kind of pariahs in the family. And uh, it's, it's a shame. And I know it's happening. I hear from people that it's happening in their families too, but what keeps me going because yeah, I would really be crushed by the lack of support, a lack of interest you know, from the, my loved ones. But uh, I, because I get so much attention from people I don't know all over the world because I hear from them every day and uh, that's really gratifying and it makes up for it because it knows you're touching people and you, and then I can just kind of attribute it. Well, it's jealousy, it's just I don't they don't want to see me in that light or, or whatever. And uh so I, I it's easier to cope with because of that. But if I didn't have the support of those of those other people, it would be much harder. But I, I'm I'm gratified, you know, that 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 I have touched some people. Especially, you know, when you hear, you know, that somebody you know, somebody from Australia or New Zealand or Scotland, you know, I hear from people in all those countries. It's it's really cool to know that uh that your work has is, is gone to the far-flung ends of the earth.
4: Yeah, for sure. And there's a there's a guy I know, I'm actually just curious, kind of right touched on somewhat earlier about, you know, the writing of your books and stuff like that, because my point on it is, I know a guy who's wrote, a, well, he's wrote two books now, and he said the only way he could actually write was to write in silence and away from people. I mean, even his wife didn't know his first book came out. Until all these hundreds of books arrived at the front door one day, he was away. Totally forgot the delivery was coming, and she just he opened the the, the books and kind of goes, "Holy shit!" She's like, uh, "What's this all about?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, I actually <laughs> wrote a book." And seeing all his his name at the back of all these books, how do? You, but he said that's the only way he could write because otherwise there'd be too much noise, there'd be too much interference. Are you doing this? Why are you saying that? I don't believe this. It would just ruin what he was actually going to talk about in the books. And he felt he would never change it for anything again. How does your writing process uh materialize shall we say
1: well i i'm pretty good at multitasking so and i i'm really outgoing so uh none of that really I, and i i could never withhold something like that i mean my, they always know what i'm doing even though they may not be interested i'm telling them all the time well you i not know, writing this down doing this you know and i talked to this person and that person and i dropped names especially when i wrote the show business book you know i got I got to know some of these older celebrities and, uh, you know, I, am a shameless name dropper now, you know, but nobody cares. Nobody around me cares. They have zero interest in it, but I still do it. But, uh, when I write, I used to write at night and, uh, I did write alone, you know, when no one else is up for, but uh, for some reason now that I've, I've become a full-time writer, uh, I'm almost like a nine to five writer now. So I, I go down and I have, I have an office. My wife works at home. Now too, so I'm down in it now. And, uh, it's a place I devote to my interviews and, uh, you know, I have my computer that I used to write with here. And, uh, so I just go to have all my research materials around me and, uh, I, I pretty much just write every day and, uh, you know, it's become a, you know, it's a ritual. I, it's, so I said, I'm going to work, you know, and that's, that's what I do. So, uh, you know, every, people are in the house, you know, my well most of the time, just my wife, but, uh, you know, we don't bother each other too much, but, it doesn't distract me. If I like, do, you know, I go, you know, I go upstairs for lunch. Uh, I go out and take a walk in the neighborhood, something like that. But I, I'm, I'm usually in front of my computer uh, most of the day now. And, uh, and at a certain point, you know, around dinner time, I usually just knock off, and uh, then I probably won't write again till the next day. But it's it's I pretty much put in you know a day's work you now writing.
4: And do you ever know how long it's going to take you? Have you kind of a set deadline? It's going to take four months, or does it just get extended as you find more and more rabbit holes and research to go down?
1: Well, I thought I was going to have a deadline with Hidden Mystery 3, but they like said, they're kind of backing off. So, um, you know, it's I write pretty fast, and uh, it's a labor of love for me. And uh, I talk to people, you know, so as I'm communicating with people, I, I incorporate what they tell me into the books, and the more people I talk to, the more material I have, and uh, it's really, it's gotten a lot harder to research now uh, since like, for instance, when I started writing hit History, just in, you're talking about seven years or so, it has changed so much because uh, this, this search engine censorship is incredible. You used to be able to find things much easier. Now, you know, I'm trying to, like I was I was writing my book about the pandemic, I was, I know that Anthony Fauci was uh, in his position back in 1986 when they passed a, a, a law that exempted vaccine makers from uh, liability, from legal liability. You can't, so if, you, you know, if your kid or your family member has a bad reaction to the vaccine, thanks to Anthony Fauci and company in the 1980s, you can't sue them. They've already established that, but I can't find any articles linking Fauci to that. And I know before they were there. And I, and I have, fortunately, again, I have people, again, that, I don't know in real life, but they're my cyber friends. I have a couple, three or four really super I know, fans or whatever you call them. I hate to say the word fan, but they they love my work enough where they, they put in You know, I said, I wish well, I could pay you guys. They're like full-time researchers, but they send me tons and tons of stuff, and they're much better at finding stuff than I am. And they know I'm having more trouble with the, the uh, censorship uh, on the search engine, so they do a really good job circumventing that. but They haven't been able to break the thing on Fauci yet, but uh, but I find that a lot, you know, like I'm looking at even JFK assassination. I'm looking into what happened to this witness or what happened to that witness. And it's, it's tough unless you can locate them. And I do call some of the people and I get, and sometimes you get through like a Timothy McVeigh from the Oklahoma city bombing. I called his father's house and his father answered the phone, which was pretty amazing, but he, you know, he didn't want to talk. Once he knew who I was, he, I talked for about 30 seconds and he hung up. But most of the time when you find these people's phone numbers, uh, they're almost always had been disconnected. So you can't even, you know, and I don't know if it's because they haven't called, but you know, once in a while you get through, but it's, uh, without the help of those researchers, I I don't know if I'd be able to write what I'm writing now because the censorship is really bad. So I rely on them. They mostly, most of the time, so they send me all this stuff and I still search myself, but I don't get anywhere. So I just rely on whatever they send me for the most part. And, uh, but it's, it's uh, you know, I'm up to 230 some pages on History 3. And so I don't know, my books are usually 400 pages. So uh, it's more than halfway there. And it, it's, uh, I don't know what the deadline will be, but uh, a lot of it, my publisher has told me that the paperback version of Crimes and Cover-Ups is coming out next month. And that's the one that has a forward by Ron Paul. So basically, the last I heard from him is that, well, we'll see how that does. So I've been trying to tell people, you know, if you want to support me, buy the paperback of that, because apparently they're basing whether they're going to publish it in History 3 on how that one does. So uh, we'll see. Hopefully it does well.
4: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's amazing you have those people on your side, uh, fans, super fans, call them what you will, because I know the research I've been doing for years, It's while I love it, it's extremely time-consuming when you're trying to do so many projects, mm-hmm. so many different day jobs, so many other things on top of it as well. But it's just, you know, it's one of these rabbit holes you could see up till 4 o'clock in the morning. I've often complained that. I have enough time to sleep and I'm dead while I'm alive. I just need to keep you know, keep chugging away to get more and more information out there. Um, and if there was an eight day in the week, I'd be doing a kind of a scenario. and I know you'd be the same that way. But in the time we've left, there's two areas I'd like to go down. I know we can probably only go briefly down them. Um, is the actual, the Clinton body bag count. Can you, because I looked into so much stuff on that. I've read so many blogs, so many books in different areas on it. And there's a lot of uh, stories that don't match up. So it's not that I have loads of questions on it. I'm just basically getting your perspective on them from the background and research you've got from it. Can you basically separate the kind of conspiracy theory from the conspiracy itself that you found?
1: Well, the Clinton body count is, is very real. And uh, I mean, the, the, these most of these guys have body counts. And that's one of the things that speaks to Donald Trump's favor is that I couldn't find a body count for him. And in that regard, he's the first president since Jimmy Carter that I really couldn't find a body count. All the rest have body counts. Uh, you know, Kennedy didn't, but LBJ had a huge body count. And writing crimes and cover if you go back to you know, FDR had a body count. Truman had a body count. So uh, you know, most of them do. But Clinton's is they're, they're number one. They're like the Beatles of body counts. You know, they're, they're number one. Nobody can approach them. And uh, you're still it's and it's still ongoing. I mean, you'll still read about somebody who's connected to Hillary, and because these people die in you know in, in incredible ways. Way too many plane crashes, you know, way too many accidental falls off of high buildings, you know suicide, things like that.. <laughs> People don't die like that in real life. And uh, you know it becomes okay, you could say a small minority of them could just be that happened. They were connected. But you know, when you have things like Gary Parks, who was the head of uh, uh, Bill Clinton's uh, Secret Service detail when he was Governor of Arkansas, Security detail. Now, he's watching Ben Foster. He's watching reports of that. And he, he tells his family, I'm a dead man. He tells him that. And sure enough, we're very sure, in short order, he's out driving on a road and some car comes by and shoots into the car and kills him. Now, you know how many people, outside of the world of organized crime, who dies like that? And these people are basically mobsters. And that's why you know things like that happen. And there's lots of examples like that. One I, I got to know uh, Linda Hayden-Ives, who was the mother of uh, Kevin Ives, one of the boys on the tracks, if you've heard of Don Henry and Kevin Ives, who were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And they went out one night probably to get high, teenagers, in, uh, on a warm summer night, and uh, their bodies were, were found on uh, dead on the train tracks. And uh, I think the evidence shows that they happened upon an airlifting drugs that were coming into Mena, Arkansas – which a lot of that was running through. And there's a lot of deaths associated, with that, including Barry Seal himself. They made a movie with Tom Cruise about that, that you know, really didn't go into the most sordid parts, but tons of deaths just associated with that. But his mother uh, never stopped fighting. She was a wonderful, remarkable woman. I quoted her at length in uh, Hidden History and never got her because she had health problems. I never got her even on my radio show. I wanted her so bad. And unfortunately, she died earlier this year. And then I just, Shortly after she died, I just found out her daughter died, and I'm still trying to find out what she died from. So, these and she wasn't old, and uh, the body counts just pile up on these people. And you see, like she told me in the email, um, you know, because these they were just an average family. They weren't political at all. They didn't hate Bill Clinton. They weren't most most people in America are apathetic politically. Maybe not since Trump, because you know Trump's so divisive. Everybody loves or hates him. But before Trump. Most Americans were apathetic. You know, a, a majority of them don't vote. They don't care. They realize on a visceral level that you know it doesn't really matter. It probably doesn't. But these people were accused of, of the left. They just dismissed them all. Oh, you know, you're trying to you, you're, you're Republicans or Jerry Falwell's behind you, or you hate you hate the Democrats. No, she said I, I didn't. And same thing with Linda Tripp. I talked to Linda Tripp, who was uh, who also died unfortunately earlier this uh, year. You know, very nice woman whose life was destroyed by Saturday Night Live and all this media just making fun of her, having John Goodman play her and ridicule her looks. And she said, "You know, how, how do?" She told me, "How do you think my kids felt? You know, seeing their mother portrayed by John Goodman and ridiculed on Saturday Night Live?" And what was her crime? Her crime was uh, warning Monica Lewinsky because she said she worked, and again she said, "I'm a bureaucrat. I was a Democrat. I, you know, I, I didn't hate Clinton, but." We used the girls around the office. That's what we talked about, the body count. Everybody in there knew about it. They already knew that people were being killed that were associated with Vince you know, Foster, for instance. They knew that. And so she, you know, Monica Lewinsky was a young girl. They weren't best friends. Like she said, she was my daughter's age. The media tried to make it seem like she portrayed her best friend. She was young enough to be her daughter. But she just said, I I, I felt protective of her. And I just wanted to warn her that. Look at what happened to all these other people. You don't want it happening to you. So she tape-recorded the conversations with her to protect herself. She said, I didn't want to be a victim of the body count. And the media ridiculed, acted like she was this horrible person. And, uh, you know, that's when you when you talk to people like that, you realize that real people are involved in this. Now, she was a lucky one, you know, because she did, she did they didn't kill her. And, but uh, so many others, they did. Same thing with Lynn Ives. But Linda Ives' lives, again, family didn't support her. The other family didn't support her. She said, you know, she got flack from the the, the parents of the other kid. They didn't like her. You know, and that's what you find is you wonder why more people don't talk is because when you do, most people want to believe what the authorities are telling them, even about their loved ones. So you have something like the family of Seth Rich or the, the a couple years ago. Obviously, it was pro- almost certainly Julian Assange did everything to name him as the leaker of the DNC emails that showed uh, how the, the party... Uh, screwed Bernie Sanders over, didn't show anything about Russia, but they exposed Hillary Clinton's corruption, and he was murdered in D.C. Uh, murder never solved, never really investigated, and his parents will sue anybody that tries to delve into it. Now, what I don't know what that says, but I you know if it was my kid, I would want to know, but it gets back to what um, Steve was talking about, the Kennedy family. A lot of these cases, I don't know what motivates the family. What kind of threats did they make? Well, I don't think they could threaten me enough to do that. Where, I mean, the Gary Webb's family, yeah, he shot himself twice in the head. You, you believe that? Really? You tell me how you can shoot yourself twice in the head. His family believes that. If you're accepting the official story, you accept Seth Rich's family believes he was shot and killed in a botched robbery where nothing was stolen. So, you know, I mean, what, what, there was nobody around to stop the robbery because they didn't. So why didn't, why weren't he robbed? So, but they don't ask these questions. And the Kennedy family is kind of an extension of that where you should want to know. What happened, right? I mean, you should more people should be like Martin Luther King's family, but most of them haven't been. And uh, so I think a body counselor are, are, are more successful because so few people question them. And I think, despite the fact they smear people like us as conspiracy theorists, they know in their hearts, they know that it could be dangerous to talk about this. Well, it's only dangerous to talk about this if there's a shadowy force that's going to kill you for doing it, right? So, uh, you know, so I don't, you know, I'm not afraid. I don't shy at all about the body counts. They're real. Yeah, some of them, sure. Okay, maybe some of them can be explained away, but the sheer number of the Clinton body count defies all odds. I mean, there's no question (laughs) something going on there that's organized.
4: Have you ever got any threats around yourself, or have you been pretty much plain sailing all the way through? Besides some of the obvious trolls and the the harmless stuff like that, but anything more serious? No,
1: I... I you know I don't know I don't know what I'm doing wrong I haven't really uh, it's kind of amazing really I mean I, I you know I, I I kind of expected to have gotten threatened by now but I don't know maybe it's because I'm so open I don't hold anything back I, I don't know but I uh, I have not and but I do there's a part of me that fears that certainly because I know what they've done to other people but uh, you know but yeah I can't I can't you know I I said or when I started uh, my first uh, non picture book hidden mysteries published I said you know if they're going to kill me. They're gonna kill you for something you write, and you know it kind of just shows how much we've lost. And you know, some somebody has to speak out, and more of us has to speak out. And uh, you know, it, there's, it's they've killed lots of other people, so I I, I don't think they'd hesitate to do that. But uh, it's I don't think you can live in fear of that. And uh, so I don't, and I have, you know maybe if I started getting really you know credible death threats, so I've never had people on my blog that, a lot of attention gets directed to my blog where you know, don't tell me they're going to report me to this authority you know, it's stupid stuff but uh nobody has said like watch your step or anything like that thank goodness i i don't you know i don't want any threats. so uh maybe i've just been lucky
4: yeah of course and that's what um they want you to do obviously is live in fear um but for a few minutes so we've left i want to touch briefly if we can on the music industry itself um what's your thoughts on the 27th club i'm itching more so to know about if you've covered the likes of uh kirk cobain i don't believe it was suicide or he killed himself a lot of people say it could have been courtney there could have been other people involved i know she had you know um got the likes of hitmen involved that she'd get fifty thousand dollars that were supposed at the time but obviously that didn't materialize there's a lot of uh ums and ahs should we say about the whole scenario have you deep dived into the 27 club itself or the, the whole kirk cobain surrounding that
1: well I don't know if there's a 27 Club. There's certainly a, you're you're talking about Jim Morrison and Janice Joplin and Jimi Hendrix and uh, Kurt Cobain, uh, people like that. Uh, but I do cover you know in my in my showbiz book, which is last I heard it has a November 1st publication date, but it's uh, called "Odd Borrowed Fame: Money, Mystery, and Corruption in the Entertainment World." So I go into a lot of those things. I certainly cover Marilyn Monroe, uh, Natalie Wood. I, I had Lana Wood, her sister, on my show a couple of years ago talking. She certainly thinks she was murdered. There was more to it. Uh, John Bellucci, John Lennon, certainly. And I, I do touch on Kurt Cobain. And you're right, Courtney Love was a suspect. Uh, you had a guy that uh, – I can't remember the guy's name – that said that Courtney Love wanted to hire him. And he ended up dying to- i believe as well he, so he
4: ended up actually admitting at one stage that yeah he said courtney love actually yeah. wanted to pay, pay me off and it was fifty thousand yeah. dollars i believe at the time but he didn't make yeah. it or there was something going on and then she obviously went elsewhere after that but what's the conclusion on that a lot of people are itching to know because yeah I, yeah
1: I, well I mean, it's certain it, it certainly you know it certainly looks like and i you know the, the funny thing about the entertainment industry whether it's uh, you know, hollywood or the music industry is that it shares a lot of, it's the only other industry that's comparable to politics because you see the same kind of corruption and unnatural mess there. So you know, there's no other industry, uh, you know, like real estate the industry as I was in, or IT, another industry. You, you don't see a bunch of unnatural deaths in those industries. But in the music, certainly the music industry, uh, Hollywood and politics, you see. So, so when somebody like Kurt Cobain dies like that, conspiracy theories immediately arise because there's, if you look into there's always some, you know, facts that don't add up. In that case, you have Courtney Love kind of shady herself, and you have the witness that said, you know, she wanted me to kill him, and then he dies. I forget exactly how he died, but it was was unnatural. I know that. And so, yeah, it's the conclusion is inescapable, especially when you, it's not like he was the first one to die that way. You had Bobby Fuller, the Bobby Fuller Four had a big hit with I Fought the Law and the Law One back in 1966, whose body was, uh, was found in his burned out car and uh, gasoline had been poured down his throat. And they claimed he killed himself. It's like, you know, it's it's ridiculous. And uh, you, you, things like, you know, Graham Nash, who was a seemingly a peace and love kind of guy across Stills, still Nash and Young, he had an ex girlfriend that was found stabbed like fifty times in, in a yard or something. I mean, even people connected to these people, they die in strange ways. You know, they, they fall off buildings, you know, and, and it's the same kind of thing that happens in the world of politics. So I, I, I call it kind of an entertainment world body count. I think it's the same thing. And I don't know why, you know, I don't know why Kurt Cobain or, or any of these people would necessarily be killed. But I know and, and certainly we can never discount in entertainment. There is a lot of drug use. So, yeah, it's possible Jimi Hendrix, you know, was using too many drugs and he did choke on his own mom or whatever. That's, that's possible. But uh, the sheer number of them, I think, you know, ought to give you pause for thought. Uh, so, question: I don't, you know, I don't, I can't give you a definitive answer for that, but I, I would suspect that there's more to Kurt Cobain's death than uh, what the official narrative says.
4: For sure. And you mentioned that uh, you touched on there actually Marilyn Monroe. There's a lot of connections between the two Kennedys. What's your thoughts on that? What, was she with both? Was she just with one? <laughs> well,
1: I, you know, I. <laughs> I don't know. you know. I, I, and again, it's part of the uh, – I go into a lot of the attacks on the Kennedys, and I don't know where, where myth ends and, and reality begins in terms of the Kennedys. Because if you believe that John F. Kennedy, especially was sleeping with all the women they claimed he was, well, at the same time they claimed he was so sick that he shouldn't have been president, his Addison's disease was so bad, they were barely keeping him alive. I mean, they say that at the same time. It's a wonder that he could be this nonstop sex machine at the same time. I mean, they don't seem to go together. So I think a lot of it's been exaggerated. There there seems to be something there with Marilyn Monroe. But again, you know, I, I don't have a problem with that the way I would with Bill Clinton. You know, there's a big difference between the governor of a state harassing uh, you know, a secretary like Paula Jones or a White House intern like Monica Lewinsky, where there's a big power imbalance, than it is for the president of the United States to be with the biggest movie star in the world. I mean, they're on the same level. And, uh, you know, it's kind of I don't know how many of us could have resisted Marilyn Monroe back in the day. So I, you know, I, I I'm not going to, uh, you know, condemn her for that if it's even true, because they've told so many lies about Kennedy, that it's it's hard to tell where any of it's true. So I'm, I, you know, I'm suspicious of anything to say about him because they lie about the Kennedys repeatedly. But Marilyn Monroe was definitely, and I have a long section on, it's no question she was murdered, and not killed herself. But I, they, what happens is a lot of people that believe that she was murdered, then they blame the Kennedys. They think Bobby Kennedy in there that day and that he killed her shut her up I, I don't think I I personally knowing how many Kennedys they've killed I don't think they killed it I, I personally think that Marilyn Monroe was killed and again I have no evidence for it it's just my my hunch that she was killed as a warning you know, basically to say look you know we, we could can, we can kill you know your your girlfriend or whatever she was the most powerful movie star in the world and we're gonna do it so you know what we can do it to you that's what I suspect I I don't know for sure but I I, I don't think the Kennedys much as I think, you know, Tapa Quiddick, I don't think Ted Kennedy was responsible for her death. I don't think he was in the car that day because whatever is about the Kennedys, they may be notorious womanizers, but there's no evidence anywhere that they had any kind of a violent streak or they would possibly be capable of murder or something like that. They're, 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 cr- they're you know, Vice seemed to be womanizing, that they did do that. But I don't think that he, you know, in Ted Kennedy's case, his story was impossible. There's no way he told the truth about that, but I think he was forced to. I think it was his political assassination. I don't think he was in the car. And I don't think the Kennedys did anything to Marilyn Monroe, but I think unquestionably someone did. And, you know, they, they, the, uh, the, the actress that bought, I think her name was Veronica Hamill. She later was in Hill Street Blues. Her and her husband bought the house that Marilyn Monroe died in. And there was a little noticed article that talked about all the bugging equipment they found in the walls of her home later where the FBI or somebody had put in there so but Moreau's house, they were bugging the hell out of her. And, uh, you know, I don't think it was, you know, the, the mafia doing it. I think there was the FBI or somebody more sophisticated than that. I think they were doing it for a reason. And uh, I think it, that that doesn't, you know, play into anything with Kennedy's did. And again, I think the same people that probably end up killing Kennedy's off her as well.
4: And it's interesting, I believe it was only about a year or so, 12 months before, you know, Um, JFK died, she'd only only about 12 months give or take between the two of them so be it a warning or not a warning uh, I don't think he took too much notice of it overall, but um, Don it's been a pleasure, I know we're just about out of time Um, amazing work you've been doing over the years keep going at it, don't ever stop, I know you won't you don't need me to tell you that, but I just give it back to Grace just to round us out and thanks for your your time today, it's been brilliant Thank you Yeah.
0: Thank you very much Don and uh, I just want to make a shout out to Our favorite guy also, John Barbour. Thank you, John. I know you're going to check this out. (laughs) So thank you for introducing us to Don. And we'll we'll have Don back again in the near future. And thank you for everything that you do. Any more last words, Don, about your recent book or the future upcoming book, please share.
1: No, oh, just, you know, on on borrowed fame, uh, many mentioned corruption in the entertainment world. is supposed to be out November 1st. So anybody that's interested in a, uh, a kind of a conspiratorial, you know, look at uh, at Hollywood and the entertainment world. Um, I, I, I use my usual take on things there where I look at things differently, but uh, I think people will find it interesting.
0: And to all our viewers, uh, if you if anything resonates to you, please uh, share it. Oh, oh, one of the viewers, Don said, and maybe in the future, please look into Robert David Steels. What happened to him?
1: Oh yes, uh, yeah, I, I had, yeah, I had yeah a little bit of a connection with him. Yeah, yeah, I hear. I still trying to. I, well, I don't think he died of COVID. Let's put it that way. But uh, it's very convenient to say. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it was, well, they'll uh, they'll uh, add it to strange. the jump count, though. Yes, yes, they'll put it in the number undoubtedly. Yes, for sure so thank you all and if we
0: do have a chance maybe we'll do our reflections but if not please uh we'll see you again next week and do take care of yourselves take care of your health number one so you can continue to do what you're doing for truth and freedom thank you cheers
4: Cheers. thanks don thank you very much
1: thanks for having me